The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and I'm heading out on vacation. Yes, I'll be out the next couple of weeks, but don't worry about the podcast. I've recorded and preloaded shows while I am away, and I think you'll like the upcoming guests. Night Train Vec will be joining me to review the film The Saint of Second Chances on Netflix about the Vec family, his dad, and the family business. Longtime Chicago sportscaster George Hoffman wrote a book recently called Tell Me a Story I Don't Know about legendary Chicago athletes, coaches, media personalities. He's got great stories about Ozzie Guillen, Jason Bedetti, and Steve Stone. That's a very fun podcast, and when I'm on my way to Australia, AJ Mithin, host of the podcast A Sporting Discussion and longtime Sox Machine supporter, will be joining me to talk about Australian baseball. Those are the three next podcasts, but this episode is a format that we haven't done in a while. It's P.O. Sox. Yes, our wonderful Patreon supporters are driving this episode as they submitted questions for us to answer. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. It's great to answer questions from Patreon supporters again. Yes. Uh, before we get into that, I was going to ask, uh, do you have uh, ABL uh, games on your schedule, on your itinerary? No, because I don't think so. We'll be in Sydney for a couple of days and Melbourne uh, for a, a couple of days. And I don't think either is playing ABL, but I think we are going to try to visit the Australian Open, which is happening in Melbourne. And the hotel that we're staying at is just a couple blocks away from the grounds of the Australian Open. So I think we're going to try to visit our first major tennis tournament, which I've never been to a tennis tournament before. I've only seen them on TV. Yeah, I've only been to uh, World Team Tennis uh, when that was a thing in Albany. Uh, kind of like a weird... Um, yeah, it had teams mostly located in Northeast, but I got to see Serena Williams come through. Nice. Uh, Anna Kornikova came through. Uh, Sloan Stevens, that's kind of where she got her start. So I got to see them up close in this weird kind of... Uh, uh, 
you know, not typical match setting. So, uh, you know, what you lose in like seeing them over a three game set, you gain in terms of seeing them like from, you know, like a hundred feet away, like five rows up because they're playing this, uh, this armory, uh, converted into the old basketball arena where the Albany patroons used to play, uh, when Phil Jackson got his coaching start, like this old, uh, barn and, uh, seeing them up close, signing autographs, uh, you know, before and after, uh, their matches and, you know, posing for pictures and such pretty cool so that's my exposure to pro tennis in person nice all right well i'll i'll see what it's like at the australian open i've been told it can get very very hot so yeah it is not hot I think it's a climate Chicago. change uh <laughs> one of those climate change uh not it's not a casualty yet but in terms of like seems like changes will have to be made to the venue or the timing or something like that you know as the years go on because it is getting a little bit like I have the same concerns about like the Arizona Fall League or the ACL, the Complex League, uh, just with the you know first pitch temperatures of 105 degrees. Yeah. Uh, regularly speaking, like yeah, you know, if that keeps going up, like what's the what does the frog test <laughs> you know, say in terms of like the limits of a baseball player playing in, at, at certain temperatures? So yeah, I think the Australian Open is one of those. Yeah, uh, just may for the Arizona League, just have to continue playing night games. Like, cannot play during the day. Everyone's got to play at night to give everyone a chance to survive. But that's the tennis talk of Sox Machine and me heading out. Let's get into your guys' questions here. And again, big thanks to our Patreon supporters who submitted questions for this episode. We start with Alec, who's been a Patreon member since August of 2020. And Alec wrote to us, Jim... If this wasn't your job, how many White Sox games would you watch this upcoming season? The second half of last season, I watched games around the league and realized how much good baseball there is to watch. I don't see myself watching more than 40 White Sox games this upcoming year. That's a uh, it's a good question because I don't know. I guess it would test my programming because I think I am programmed to watch baseball games or like really be invested in baseball games over the course of a full season, like from a developmental aspect, like players come up, how are they doing? How are they adjusting? How are pitchers adjusting? How is their stuff holding up from start to start and month to month? You know, our hitters being figured out. So I'm really interested in that part of the game, partially because of the demands of writing about the White Sox every day. Uh, but you know, could I find reward in dropping in a team from here to, you know, you know, here and then or you know reading about a prospect that's being called up and watching that uh teams that are on a roll teams that are miserable like if there's a, like a Detroit Pistons type episode and maybe the White Sox will be that team of uh, just uh, how bad can it get you know uh doing a little bit of rubbernecking watching those games I would be curious like if I could watch games like that or if I really do feel like a reward even if it is not rewarded in terms of wins and losses from watching guys over the course of a season placing some mental bets over what I think will happen and then seeing what actually unfolds. Uh, but I think the way my viewership would change is I'd probably watch most of the games in parts because I do like just the uh, daily aspect and just how it's always on, you know, background uh, programming. But I think probably I'd watch like three or four innings of a game versus eight or nine, that'd probably help be how it changes. I'd, I'd drop in to see a start, drop in to see some at-bats, but then like, oh yeah, I've seen this game before and move on. Yeah, to Alex's point, and I'm glad he mentioned this point because I was 
falling in the same boat that he was, especially when the White Sox were on the road. There is good baseball around Major League Baseball. And that's why we were talking about other series that are interesting to us towards the end of last season. And being a season ticket holder, one of the few perks of being a White Sox season ticket holder, you get a free subscription to MLB.TV for the entire season. So the fact that I can pull up the Dodgers game or a Braves game, or if you got an Astros Mariners game or at the Astros Rangers games were a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I would find myself, you know, splitting screens, watching Astros Rangers at the same time the White Sox were on the road because, as Alec put it, that's our job. We watch the White Sox so you don't have to. But if it wasn't my job, I think I would dedicate myself to watching every Dylan C start. And at, at least the beginning of the season, the Eric Fetty starts just to get an understanding of who Fetty is. And then watch everybody else until one of the other pitching prospects, or to your point, like a Colson Montgomery or Brian Ramos, joins the White Sox. Then you'll get my attention back. I, I feel like this is a great question to ask Blackhawk fans in recent light of the awful injury to Connor Bedard, who is on the injured reserve list now because of a fractured jaw. Like how many Blackhawks games are, are people going to watch? Like I'm not trying to make fun of the Blackhawks, Jim, but every it's like Shohei Otani. Wow. Connor Bedard. Amazing. Look at this amazing goal. He scores as the Blackhawks lose five to one to the New York Rangers. Like without Connor Bedard on the ice, there's just like no point if he, just following the Chicago Blackhawks from my perspective. So I can understand White Sox fans being like, yes, we support you guys. We, I love you guys at Sox Machine. I'm watching 10 White Sox games this year. Like, I understand that. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I watched the Blackhawks play the Predators um, last week. And even with Bedard in the lineup, it wasn't good. Uh, just not a whole lot of chances. So now that he's out, Felino is out. I think they have more money on injured reserve than they have actually on the ice. Like, Yikes. yeah, it's, it was already going to be gross uh, this year, at least like uneven. And now it's just going to be, you know, like whenever you hear about, uh, you know, fans complain about players being inconsistent. Um, I look at inconsistent as being like the second worst thing you can be. Uh Consistent. What's the worst? Consistent. Like the Blackhawks are going to be consistent. <laughs> I see where you're coming. <laughs> Inconsistent means there are highs and lows, uh, which most players fit into that. You know, most you know major league players fit into that mold of like being good and maybe really good for stretches, but not having like the elite talent uh, that allows it to show up every week. Like a guy like Mookie Betts is elite. He's good because he's consistent. Like he gets paid what he gets paid because he's consistent. Mike Trout gets paid what he's paid because he's consistent, you know, except for health. Uh, you know, Marcus Semyon gets paid what he's paid because he's consistent. Uh, guys who are a tier down, they are naturally inconsistent. And uh, that's preferable to being consistent the way like Lenin Sosa has been consistent or Oscar Colas was consistent, which is like consistently missing uh, the cutoff man and changing uh, you know, or chasing pitches outside the zone. So, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it when it comes to the Blackhawks. It's like I saw a consistent team, but not the kind of consistency you want to see. Got it. Understand. Well, again, thank you so much for your question, Alec. And uh, yeah, games watch of Luis Robert back to your consistency part. If, Luis Robert, unfortunately, suffers a similar injury to, like, Connor Bedard and has to be out for, like, a month. And, yeah, I could see interest in watching the White Sox 
just crashing as they will be consistent in 2024 to Jim's point. Our next question comes from Michael and Michael's been a Patreon supporter since January of 2018. since the very beginning. Thank you for your continued support, Michael. And Michael wrote to us in the spirit of a very old PO Sox question. I asked where I wondered who would you have the better career between Carlos Rodon, Michael Kopech, and Alec Hansen? Which prospect that didn't make the majors from the recent rebuild did you have the highest hopes on that didn't pan out? And what do you think went wrong? The funny thing about the White Sox is that, you know, the way it unfolded, most of the players who might be worth a shot at any point did make the majors. So I think you know, when you uh, limit it to uh, prospects who didn't make the majors, like it gets a little bit tougher or the hopes become a little bit less uh, because most of the guys we saw, like maybe Blake Rutherford, who I was like mad on when the White Sox acquired him, like he might be somebody who fits that bill. Uh, but I think in bulk, it's probably... Um, either like the high school pitching cluster, you know, the Dahlquist, Thompson, Kelly, uh, cluster and Thompson might make the majors still like, you know, Kelly could maybe make the majors in a relief role, but like just, uh, a pivot to drafting high school arms, uh, didn't really materialize anything. And, and I think the more troubling part is that, uh, the players really didn't show their draft day strengths at all. Like Kelly, not a hoss, uh, Dahlquist not repeating his delivery well, okay. not showing command. Like probably Thompson is probably the closest, uh, although like his athleticism doesn't really translate into his delivery. So there's that. Uh, you know, when it comes to I think the bigger picture, I think it's the problem with the White Sox rebuild is not like guys didn't necessarily crash and burn. It's more that the prospects who did the make the majors, most of them made the majors and then like fulfilled their. 20th or 30th percentile outcomes like Moncada and Jimenez, I think is, are in that boat for injuries. Uh, you have, um, like I think Kopech is probably there because of injuries. And then you also personal stuff, even like, uh, something like, you know, Vaughn, you know, isn't quite there yet. Magical, maybe magical might be the most disappointing in terms of like just individual tool, like just how, unready he looked for the majors and how like the the baseball iq he was supposedly uh revered for in college he shows up the majors and he's probably one of the uh i want to use this word lightly but in terms of like baseball decisions you know made some of the dumber moves of just you know what he thought he could pull off versus what he actually accomplished uh, I think Alejandro Diaz probably comes closest in terms of like, you know, why did you just do that? And but I think magical is even worse than Diaz. Cause uh, just, I think he had a higher percentage of head scratching decisions. Uh, I think that was the bigger problem with the rebuild though. is just a lot of guys who came to the majors, maybe rushed to the majors in some cases like Vaughn uh, showing up without their like principal tools being all the way there. Like even Eloy Jimenez, like just even when he's been healthy, he's had some moments, but hasn't been that like, devastating hitter he was supposed to be that makes up for his lack of defensive development so I think that's the bigger problem I think most of the prospects who were supposed to make the majors did and even like Gavin Sheets who's made the majors had some moments but like the White Sox keep asking too much from him and he keeps offering less and less like that's I think the kind of characteristic of the bigger issue Oscar Colas another guy who's characteristic of the bigger issue of like being ready to make the majors being good enough to get an audition and then doing nothing with that audition I think is the bigger problem 
when it looks, when you think of like prospects who actually delivered, like what we mentioned last time, Dylan Cease, uh, probably 80th, 90th percentile in terms of what he could have been expected to deliver when the White Sox acquired him uh, at his A-ball days. Then Lucas Giolito probably feels like a 70th percentile. Like you maybe just not, you know, in terms of like peak, I think he's close to realizing his peak at his best, but also had some worst mix in that, that dilutes it a little bit. Then like Reynaldo Lopez, probably pretty close to uh, the prospect uh, evaluators who had him ticketed for the bullpen. He ended up there and actually like did pretty well. So I think those are the three guys who accomplished better than 50%. And then everybody else has been more or less like, you know, 20, 30 at most. For me, Michael, you mentioned him, Alec Hansen. That was the one that I thought back in 2017 when he led the minor leagues in strikeouts that I thought he had higher upside than Michael Kopech. But injuries... And then trying to overcome those injuries and then rehab didn't go well. And then the White Sox messed with his role down in the minor leagues that visiting Birmingham seemed at the time that could have been a factor because Alec didn't know what his future role was being a starting pitcher or being a reliever. And they completely just fizzling out uh, is the example of the, like the White Sox getting in their way when it comes to player development and not helping or assisting a player to overcome those hurdles. So for me, it's Alec Hansen because in 2017, Jim, I, I was convinced like, yes, this is a guy that could help out in the White Sox starting rotation. Yeah. The one thing about Hansen is that he, that's what hurt his draft stock was having a similar episode yes, in Oklahoma. In yeah. Oklahoma. So like, that's the one thing that makes me think like maybe just that he was a, a very delicate case of just being that big, having mechanics that are d- that difficult to maintain. And if something throws him off, good luck getting him back on track. And, uh, you know, maybe that's explains why nobody really made the White Sox a compelling offer, even if it's just like a player to be named later to, to you know, take him off their hands. Like maybe they saw it and be like, oh, this guy's a mess. Or, you know, maybe just, you know, yips-ish when it comes to just uh, his confidence levels. Like, uh it would be an interesting, you know, and I'll have to put this on the list, especially if trying to, you know, make some trips to Birmingham, like just thinking aloud, like, I wonder if anybody's willing to talk about that or if it's like too, uh, too tough to talk about in terms of like when a player goes that wrong, because by the time I saw him in person, that was during that 13 walk inning yeah. and he was the one who started it and be like, and, and just hearing the collective muttering around the park and just around like just how lost it was and how tragic it was and just... Uh, you know, questions like, you know, why is he still here? You know, why has he been around Birmingham for this long and just trying to figure out, like, it'd be a, uh, something to put on the list in terms of, like, something to poke at over the course of, like, you know, visits and months and seeing, like, can you get an answer that isn't, like, just uh, tragedy, porn, <laughs> and just, uh, and, and seeing if there is, like, a, you know, if you get to, like, a more human element of just, like, why didn't it work? Why did it take so long? Um, was there any hope? Like, what? just the process because it was like a really remarkable loss of talent uh, just after the injury going from being a top 50 pitching prospect to, to nothing pretty quickly. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our next question comes from John Phillips. John has been a Patreon supporter since February 2021, and John wrote to us, We will be going to Arizona again this year. We usually catch several White Sox games and wander the practice fields. If you had this opportunity, where would you focus your attention on? And my quick answer, John, is that if the Dodgers are also in town, the Dodgers. (laughs) (laughs) Shohei Yamamoto. Yeah, I think I'm really looking forward to seeing Noah Schultz in person. The yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he breaks uh, camp. Well, I, I hope that he uh, breaks camp healthy because that's been an issue. But assuming he is throwing, like I am hoping he makes his debut with Winston Salem because Winston Salem has a series with Bowling Green uh, in the first month of the season. So that's an easy drive nice. for me to drive up an hour and catch him. Like even if he is starting, like on a Wednesday or, you know, some, you know, normally inconvenient time to like go down to Birmingham, like easy enough to get to Bowling Green and make the start on time. Uh, that's, I think, uh, I just want to see like how his levers work and what kind of reactions he gets, uh, from hitters, you know, watching them step in, especially lefties. Uh, cause sometimes like when you see a pitcher like him and you just see the arm slot, when you're able to get like a really good seat behind home plate, because, there may be only a couple thousand people in the stands. Uh, that's, I think, I'm really looking forward to watching him uh, and, and seeing just how he operates. Uh, Colson Montgomery, I think I'm interested in watching him getting another look. Uh, you know, should he start the season in Birmingham uh, if, you know, rather than Charlotte's, like, making a quick trip down there just to see, like... Because yeah, I mentioned it last year, like... I watched him like move around a lot and like rotate his shoulders and, and twist his neck and stretch out his back. And part of made me wonder like, is this, you know, a lingering issue from the back thing? Or is he just like a normally twitchy guy who just has a lot of different mannerisms to occupy dead time that would be otherwise like standing around, uh, taking your glove off, putting it back on, uh, checking a piece of paper in your back pocket. So I, I want to get another look at him and just understand him more about like, mannerisms how he uh how he kills time uh because you know especially if he's fully healthy and looking every bit the player he was uh before the back issue and even that stretches afterwards um think otherwise i'm waiting until like it usually comes out second half of january just seeing the entire developmental uh player development chart uh the the who's leading it who's managing where if there are any new coaches involved, then like seeing who's working with what pitching coach or who's working with what, uh, you know, who's getting special instruction, who's getting time in the cage. Uh, because, you know, given that we don't know exactly who Chris gets is loyal to uh, in the player development list, now that he's in charge and can help reassign some things. Like, I'm curious, like what changes will be made to uh, who's uh, sticking around, who's uh, working with what players at what level. And also like, are there new positions, uh, new coaching positions uh, that are being added to the player development roster? And are those guys working with certain players in particular? 
Well, John, we hope you have a wonderful trip to Arizona and uh, enjoy White Sox spring training. And again, if the Dodgers are also in town, I would recommend checking them out as well. Uh, our next question comes from Noah. And Noah has been a Patreon supporter since March of 2019. And Noah wrote to us, in light of the White Sox numerous quadruple-A acquisitions the past few weeks, are the team's numbers in Ben Clements' metric looking any better? And isn't strong AAA depth for this team as it currently stands kind of like carrying low-deductible car insurance on a 17-year-old beater with 300,000 miles on it, Jim? It reminds me more of like the exhibit meme of, yo, dog, I heard you like quadruple-A players, so I put some quadruple-A players in your quadruple-A players. Like, <laughs> that's kind of how it reminds me of right now. So, like, I think in that sense, like, I don't know if his metric will be all that useful to where the White Sox are this year because they are trying to get by so much with guys who are barely replacement level themselves. And the point isn't necessarily like getting um, guys who can contribute at the major league level with any regularity. It's more about providing fodder uh, kind of like meat shields for the prospects at AAA who you care about and whose development you really want to make sure that you're not rushing, you know, Montgomery, Ramos, Nestrini, Mena, etc. Like you want to make sure you have guys in front of them, even like guys in front of guys, just so that in the events like, um, you know, Tuki Toussaint gets hurt or somebody they're counting on to be a fifth starter. Like that's what Chad Cool is for, you know, theoretically, or somebody like him, Jared Schuster, maybe can, you know, maybe he's not as in a, uh, precarious state or like a, a, you know, the White Sox can call him up because he's been called up before and you don't have to worry about necessarily having a couple bad starts, uh, resetting his confidence and resetting what he was working on. So you have like, you know, guys lined up to um, protect the prospects of note. I just don't think any of them are going to be any good. I think if you're going to see like improvement, it's going to be more because like eventually they get to the guys with talent, you know, Nistrini, Montgomery, etc., And while they are uneven and inconsistent, they still have moments or they still have starts. They still have series where they go off. And all of a sudden, like now you're like a little bit above replacement level again, because you had those, that bad week, that terrible series. And all of a sudden you had that series or that, that starts to counteract uh, the negative progress. And now you're finally, you know, in the black again. So I think that's, if it looks any better, it's going to be because some high upside prospects finally came through and delivered some immediate uh, moments that revealed their potential. And even if it takes a while to smooth out, uh, they're at least, you know, it's more than like the Zach Remillard of having like one or two good weeks and then nothing in the rest of the season. And they don't have anybody to fall back on because he was their plan J the whole time. Yeah, no, I think the the additions the White Sox have recently made hurt their metrics within Ben Clements because Martin Maldonado, I can't imagine Fangraphs is projecting him to be a positive war player, along with Max Stassi uh, or Brett Phillips. Like The whole idea is let's remove your 10 best players and see what your team war is. Well, if Martin Maldonado is not in that group of the 10 best players for the White Sox, then their remaining war is going to shrink. <laughs> it's going to drag them closer <laughs> to where the Colorado Rockies are. So, yeah, to like Jim's point, what happens in reality compared to projected 
really is determined by like how Paul DeYon bounces back or Nicky Lopez or Martin Maldonado could be a zero war type of catcher when he really could be a minus two war type of player in 2024, especially if he doesn't frame better. And if he hits like 140 on the season and Pedro Grafal still starts him every single day because quote unquote leadership and culture reasons. So it is a good question, Noah. I am curious right now. My hypothesis would be no, these signings are not helping the white Sox and Ben Clements metric but we won't have more accurate results until let's say Memorial day weekend, where I think we have enough runway Jim to see on how the starts are truly shaping out for these new guys. Yeah. I can just see a little bit more progress in terms of guys off the 26 man roster uh, being able to contribute because after one layer, there is more potential there. It's just a matter of like, if they all have like Lenin Sosa's adjustment curve to where like Colson Montgomery is uh, batting 100 for the first uh, month of his season. And you know, if they have equally rough introductions, then it doesn't matter. But I can see a case of just having a little bit more coming, you know, in reserves uh, to offset everything that's, you know, miserable up top. I do wonder, like, given the state of the roster, like what player... Or, like, do the White Sox just have so many guys projected for, like, 0.0 to where, like, Martin Maldonado could theoretically be one of the team's 10 best players? Or all they all pitchers and relief pitchers? They're the most that, projectable players. Like, I think that, that's how bad this roster is going to be. that's a blog post. List the top 10 White Sox players. That's when Zips comes out. I think I that's... Mean, Zips projections are coming yeah, out soon. So, maybe... So, Zips will help us in that regard, but I, I can't think of 10. I can't think of the top 10 right now. Yeah, probably Luis, Roberts. Cease. If unless he gets traded. Oh God. Fetty, Nakata, Jimenez, Vaughn, Lopez, Benatendi better be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, this is all right. Uh, thank you so much for your question, <laughs> Noah. Uh, what better segue than to Jordan's question here? who's a recent Patreon supporter, Jordan wrote to us, how is BetterHelp not a sponsor of this podcast? I'm sure all of us White Sox fans would greatly benefit from some professional help at this point. And just trying to list the top 10 White Sox players currently, Jim. Yeah, we could use some better help. <laughs> yeah, I think I think maybe they consider White Sox fans beyond help. <laughs> That's what You're we on need. your own? We need beyond help. <laughs> Although, yeah, you know the whites, you, you know the uh, the Sox Machine podcast uh, advertising uh, realm better than I do, but I, I do hear better help on basically every other podcast I listen to. But I know that like when you when he sent me the list of like areas of or, or like fields of advertisers that you can you know block or allow to you know solicit or you know advertise on the podcast. Um, there is like the growing field of like mild hallucinogenics <laughs> and like maybe that's where uh white Sox fans will be targeted. It's just like, you need something to take the edge off. Here you go. I love it. I hope we, we, we should get that. We're going to be back to back. Better help is sponsoring this episode of the Sox machine podcast. And if better help doesn't work, how about some gummies? <laughs> try, yeah. Try these shrooms. <laughs> Oh, man. Great, great question, Jordan. Thank you so much. Our next question comes from Benjamin. And Benjamin's been a supporter since November of 2022. 
And Benjamin wrote to us, Jim, how has a replacement for Jason Benetti not been named yet? Do we even know who they are looking at to take the position? When we were going around the winter meetings and like every conversation I've had, like Mike Monaco was the favorite when Benetti was first, um, you know, when, when his decision was first announced by the White Sox and not by Benetti himself. Uh, but, you know, he was considered the favorite because the fill-in work he did for the White Sox and every conversation I've had has identified him as the favorite still. Like not, you know, not necessarily it's a lock, but like, it's him being the front runner and then everybody else being like, well, he's theoretically available or like this could possibly happen. But like Monaco is the only one who, you know, is said with any degree of like confidence or, you know, almost like it'd be, yeah, I guess there's always reason to uh, be surprised by what the White Sox do. So like, I don't know if anybody would bet on Monaco versus the field, but he is the front runner, I think still. Um, if he, that's the case, like given that he's under ESPN contract and like, you know, he has the same, multi-sport commitments that Jason Benetti had, like it probably does take a little bit of contract work to be able to make sure everybody has the same expectations for how much he can do with a new team. I do wonder like, you know, if he has an out in his contract of like jobs he can pursue or type of work he can pursue that allow him to break the contract or at least allow him to escape or to go to like a lesser version of the contract uh, because, you know, some broadcasters do have that ability to be like this is clearly a, a move that represents progress uh that and, and these jobs are so timing based that if you don't jump on it now uh then you may never get that chance again kind of like dave wills you know when i was writing my uh uh the in memoriam post of people who died you know connected to the white Sox in the past year and like dave wills like would have been perfect to replace John Rooney after the 2005 season. But because the Rays offered him in 2004, like if you're in his position doing pregame and postgame for 10 years, um, you have to jump on that opportunity if you get that full-time gig. Cause you may never get that kind of a gig again, just because, uh, you know, sometimes musical chairs ends and you're on the outside looking in. So uh, that's why I think like some broadcasters do have that out and just takes a little bit of time to resolve it or figure out like the minimum work you can do uh, with ESPN or the maximum work you can do with your new employer and still maintain your commitment. So that's why, you know, it makes sense to me just because they haven't announced it yet. Uh, that like it could take time to untangle. Whereas other guys uh, and women uh, who would have that opportunity don't have the kind of commitments that Monaco has. And so it would be a more simple uh, replacement, but uh, you know, it's not great that the White Sox don't have that replacement. Just, you know, it, it is a, yeah, I don't like using the word bad or the phrase bad luck too often because like oftentimes people say bad luck and it really means dick move. Uh, so it's a phrase I really avoid trying to, to deploy. But like in this case, it is, I think, literally a bad luck that the White Sox don't have a play-by-play -play guy and their popular employee left under very just sketchy slash awful circumstances. And two months have passed and the White Sox still don't have anybody there. They're not doing Sox Fest who Benetti or their play-by-play -play guy was typically the MC for. And they're doing this lesser event instead. And it just comes off as all shoddy and and uh, just kind of Bush League a little bit. And like, you know, that they don't consider their play-by-play -play broadcaster 
a central part of the fan experience because they haven't replaced Benetti yet. And it is like just a bad look, terrible optics, whatever you want to call it. Like this is a case of like, yeah, you're not doing anything to present yourself as a serious enterprise when you don't even have like the voice who connects your product to the fan base in line yet. And it's been months. I don't know how likely Mike Monaco is because not only is he contractually obligated to help ESPN with the NHL coverage that obviously spills into Major League Baseball season, especially with the postseason. Um, but he's also helping out with ESPN's college basketball schedule as well. So if they want somebody to cover and call 130 plus games, I don't know if it's Mike Monaco. Uh, you still have Connor McKnight out there uh, who does pre and post game right now for ESPN Radio, ESPN 1000 for the Chicago White Sox radio network. I have been told Len Casper was offered the job. He turned that down. He still prefers to be the White Sox radio play-by-play broadcaster. You know, one we met him up in Nashville, and I know he listens occasionally, but Mike Farron, if you're listening, man, and if the White Sox call, I hope you answer. Uh, I think Mike Farron would be a great pick outside of Chicago. Now, he used to work in Chicago radio. He calls a lot of baseball games for MLB Network and also ESPN, especially in college baseball. He calls a great game, especially during the college postseason this past year. Uh, Some fantastic games that he was calling. I think he would be a a great addition, and he loves the game of baseball, and he understands Chicago, and he totally gets White Sox fans too. Uh, That's who I would call at this point because you're running out of time. Like, you got five weeks before spring training as we record this episode, and they need to build up some type of rapport with the color guy, Steve Stone, which we have seen the best that Steve Stone warmed up with quickly in Jason Benetti, and that was a great pairing. And we've also seen Steve Stone with Hawk Harrelson at the end of Hawk's time as a broadcaster and not be a great broadcast booth. Like, you're trying to aim for the middle. You're trying to aim for okay right now because I don't think it's fair to expect great. But yeah, you're kind of running out of time to find someone. Yeah, just when it comes to the delay, like some some of the names you know that I also heard, like you know Connor McKnight would be one where it seemed like that'd be a sim- pretty simple call to make. Uh, that they know his, you know, he's obligated to the White Sox already. So why wouldn't it be as easy as like, hey, you're a guy right. now? Like if they you know, if they wanted him versus any other candidate. So I think that's why you know the delay makes some sense that it could be a Monaco type, just because it would take a while to untangle everything and find replacements for Monaco's work. And maybe, you know, some of it's contingent on finding somebody to take Monaco's work at ESPN. So it could be a mess like that. So um, if ESPN is looking to cost cut, maybe it helps them out in that regard too. So you never quite know when it comes to media uh, contracts, like maybe they're okay unloading one just because they do have to hit a budget uh, with cost cutting going on. Uh, But yeah, Steve Stone, like he's going to be somebody I'm going to be fascinated to watch or listen to because like you mentioned like the extremes between Benetti and Hawk, but like even in between with like Len Casper, Chuck Swirsky, like two professional broadcasters with uh, play-by-play experience who are used to working with X players being alongside and deferring the analysis to them. Like the chemistry was not immediate with them either. A lot of silence or a lot of like short answers, uh, not a whole lot of warmth. So, like, I think Stone is a a little bit of a particular partner in terms of, like, how much he is game for going along with somebody, with the person next to him. And so, like, it 
to your point, I think it does make sense to have something lined up just because like it will probably take a while. It will take some spring training games. It will take some conversations with program directors in order to kind of understand what gets the best out of stone or what gets stone talking versus what uh, ends in some strange silence, dead air moments that make you think like, Oh, do you touch a nerve? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see, but they're running out of time. Ben, <laughs> the white Sox need to find somebody quickly here because spring training is rapidly approaching and they got spring training games that they have to call. And I, I think that would be the make the most sense to, work out your your team before opening day. But man, if they don't have somebody set and they just have random people going into the booth with Steve Stone just to get broadcasts out and not building out to what their regular season broadcast is going to be, man, the regular season television broadcast might be as big of a dumpster fire as the product that they're broadcasting on the field. And that would be a terrible combination. You can't, you can't have an unwatchable broadcast broadcasting an unwatchable team gym period you cannot do that that would be a fantastic way to kill any excitement for the upcoming white Sox season which there isn't much already but yeah now now you have me worried about this i'm i'm more worried than i was about (laughs) before talking about this topic but now that we've talked through it i i am more worried about because we have to watch this yeah well, maybe it's playback opportunities if uh, we're able to do that. Yeah, let's go MLB and playback. Let's get that deal done before opening day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, our next question comes from Brian Dolan and Brian wrote to us, what is a realistic statistical goal for Noah Schultz this year? And has there been any noticeable comments or changes, i.e. Brian Bannister to avoid recent development struggles in Garrett Crochet, Carlos Rodon, dear God, Carson Fulmer side note, enjoy your trip, Josh. It's a dream of mine to make it down there. Brian, thank you so much for the side comment. And Jim, I guess what is a realistic goal for Nolan Schultz in 2024, and how can Brian Bannister help? Uh, I think more than 27 innings would be a start. Like, I would hope that he'd get, like, maybe 100 seems like a stretch. Uh, 100 seems like a stretch, But, like, 80 seems like it would be fair for, like, a first full season. Um, Did you – what did you say, 80? 80. So, let's say he makes 20 starts, and they max him out at either 80 pitches or four innings at each appearance. Because that's, I think, what Tanner McDougal got to. Actually, he got to 70. Uh, so he got 70 innings, uh, throwing 21 starts, three to four innings. Like, he was on that same plan. But he was coming off Tommy John surgery. Like, theoretically, Schultz pitched last year. So I think he could add a little bit more to that. But I think if he got to 70, 80 in that range, like, and he was able to pitch regularly, and the reason why he didn't get to 100 was, like, more or less programmed, whether it's, like, uh, a strategic stop on the injured list or the reserved list if they want to just, you know, uh, work on getting him some development time that isn't, you know, adding to his workload. Uh, I could say it being a productive year and just being able to pitch across five months, I think would be the big 
goal for Schultz. Um, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I don't think any tweaks need to be made for him right now because like he's just, when he's been able to pitch, he's been great. So uh, I don't know if there are any developments, uh, you know, tips there that Bannister will impart. I think, you know, bigger picture, I think Bannister, he showed up in September. Um, not a whole lot new yet. I think when it comes to what the roster looks like going into spring training, what the five man rotation looks like, how many projects there are, whether it's like Soroka, Schuster, uh, guys who haven't been able to pitch well or often, uh, or both in some cases. Uh, I think that's when you're going to see Brian Bannister emerge in terms of like, why'd you like Fetty? Uh, why is he the number two starter now or number one starter? God forbid, uh, if Dylan Cease, uh, comes, yeah, gets traded and like Fetty is the best of what's left. Michael Kopech, what's left for him? I think that's when we're going to hear like Brian Bannister emerge as like more of a, an idea guy, because also he'll be around spring training. Like Ethan Katz will be hearing about like how Bannister and Katz work together. Uh, when you don't have expectations and when you don't have um, the everything riding on players staying healthy, the way that spring training was last year, like spring training last year was very much Pedro Gafol world baseball classic who makes it out of there and who reports to spring training? Will they have their roster playing as regularly as they want it to be playing? And like that almost happened. And then like, you know, Moncada got hurt and Tim Andrews got hurt and the wheels fell off. Um, but this time around without there being any expectations for whether the White Sox are any good, it does open the opportunity to hear more from like the development aspects, like the Josh Barfield level of like, here are the guys we brought in. Here's what we're hoping to see. We understand it's a long shot, but if it clicks, here's how it's going to click for this particular player. If it doesn't, here's who we're hoping to see from like the second or third wave of players you'll see over the course of the season. Hopefully one of these things will actually materialize in terms of like, here's why I thought it could work. And then come August and September, here's how it actually worked. That would be nice. Yeah, Noah Schultz was committed to Vanderbilt before the White Sox drafted him, and that's kind of why there was a surprise that the White Sox were able to get Schultz at the late of the first inning because there was a lot of people who thought that he wouldn't sign or his asking price to sign was too high for any team in the late in the first round to sign him, and that was a surprise when the White Sox were able to draft and sign Noah Schultz. If Schultz did report to Vanderbilt and was just a few miles away from you, Jim, in Nashville. He would be a sophomore. But looking at the rotation, he would be a weekend starter. And the weekend starters at Vanderbilt, you're looking at 12 to 17 starts this upcoming year in between 60 to 80 innings. So I think you're right on that it's 80 innings for Schultz. Can the White Sox get 80 innings out of Schultz this year? Because if Schultz had gone to college and pitching for Vanderbilt, that would have been the expectation this season, Jim, is for Schultz to help out in the weekend rotation for the Commodores and to make like 14 to 17 starts at 80 innings. Now, you do the math, folks. I mentioned 20 appearances, 80 innings. Have Schultz make 20 starts this year. Get into your reputation, getting the ball every fifth day, and see if he can go four innings. Much different for Vanderbilt because of the competitive nature of that program and being the SEC, the hope would be Schultz get through six innings, man, at Vanderbilt. So I think that's kind of like the interesting development here that's happening 
in this particular issue with Noah Schultz, what can the White Sox do differently in developing a pitcher than Vanderbilt, one of the top baseball programs in college baseball? And what can the White Sox do differently that can maybe produce better results for producing a major leaguer? I will say this. If Schultz does not pan out, I never want to see the Chicago White Sox draft a high school pitcher ever again because they do not have the infrastructure. They do not have the development staff. And it is becoming very, very clear. College baseball programs are a lot better at developing 18-year-olds to become major league pitchers than major league teams are. Because looking at the last decade in draft trends, man, fewer and fewer High school pitchers are being drafted, not just in the first round, all rounds. And with the amount of money universities and baseball programs, especially the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12, and let's see what happens in the Big 10 with some conference merging that's happening, Jim. I could just see Major League Baseball teams just throwing their hands up and be like, yeah, you guys are better at than we are. <laughs> just let us know when they're juniors or they're draft-eligible sophomores, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll come see them, and we'll take them off your hands. We'll throw them immediately to high A, and then we don't have to worry. And instead of, you know, if we want teenage pitching prospects, we'll just go sign them out of the Dominican Republic or the other Latin America countries. Like, I could see that happening, a trend coming here for professional baseball. Yeah, another guy I was thinking of was Peyton Paulette. He was on that same Great McDougal program, uh, 22 starts, 72 innings. So if the White Sox are married to that, it's like a good idea to just uh, help a guy take the ball every fifth or sixth or seventh day with regularity and throw a reasonable amount of pitches that will test endurance a little bit but not overtax. Like maybe you'll see Schultz on that. I think the difference between Schultz and McDougal is that Schultz – when he's pitched has been a lot more efficient. Like he's a better mm -hmm. strike thrower. I think his stuff is a lot more mystifying to low minors hitters than McDougal or Paulette to where like they've seen those types of pitchers before, like given Schultz's height, the angle he throws from uh, the velocity he throws with and the breaking stuff he has, like I can see him being more or less an alien to a ball hitters and being like, I don't know what to do with this guy. And here's why my swings are very unconvincing. And so he gets through three innings on 35 pitches. And so he might be able to throw more innings and like, you know, he might be able to throw five with more regularity than somebody like McDougal or Plett who's throwing like four innings and hitting 75 pitches because uh, just uh, Schultz's strikes are a lot more effective because of his natural advantages for being as gangly as he is. Brian, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Azenrec, and Azenrec has been supporting us since March of 2018. Thank you for your continued support, Azenrec. And Azenrec wrote to us, if Brett Phillips isn't the starting right fielder for the White Sox on opening day, who could be a realistic option? Also, Josh, can you bring Dave Nielsen back from Australia to manage the White Sox. And we talk about Dave in an upcoming episode with AJ Mitten about Australian baseball and how Dave was an all-star catcher for the Milwaukee Brewers at age 29 in 1999 and then retired from Major League Baseball to go back to Australia to help grow the game there. So as in rec, I don't think I'd be very successful. I don't think any Major League team would be all that successful in trying to get Dave Nielsen to come back to Major League Baseball and manage, even though he's been very successful, especially the international front uh, for Australia, and he's won multiple titles in Australia. Like, I think he's a dark horse kind of guy, managerial candidate in the future, but 
Major League Baseball teams are still not taking the international guys more seriously. Like I, uh, Team Mexico's manager was going up for the Padres job, and uh, he, he didn't get that job. So I don't think I would be successful in bringing back Dave Nielsen. I don't have a good answer for who are some possibilities to start in right field, Jim, for the White Sox outside of what they currently have on hand uh, and what they could possibly get back in return for Dylan Cease. Who do you think could be some realistic options for the White Sox if it's not Brett Phillips being the starting right fielder on opening day? Yeah, you know, one of the guys who came to mind for managers uh, before we get to that was uh, Trey Hillman uh, when the Royals oh, yeah. hired him from uh, NPB and like that didn't quite work out. Like, but they had the idea like along the lines of, like Mark Tressman coming from the CFL. Like we've seen it in other sports as well, um, trying to. Uh, replicate the success experience internationally and didn't quite go as well as they'd hope. So you know, maybe Nilsson is where he's supposed to be, but yeah, he, he certainly has had a, um, it almost seemed like he accomplished what he wanted. He proved what he wanted to prove as a player. And like now, you know, he can, while he's still has energy and still wants to be like, if Australia is where he wants to be and where he wants to like raise a family and such like, yeah, it seems like the best possible way to spend your, uh, you know, star power is by helping invest that in your own country. Um, when it comes to right field, yeah, I think I'm still waiting for the C stuff to materialize. We're seeing like a little bit more heat with the rumors, uh, like just which teams are interested in stating the intensity of their interests with the Red Sox and with the Yankees and Orioles have been a little bit firmed up. I think maybe with the other ALAs teams getting involved to where like they might feel a little bit more motivated, but like if somebody like Heston Kerstad comes over in a trade, like he seems like he would be the everyday right fielder. Everson Pereira, if the Yankees trade uh, was struck, like he might be somebody who's naturally a trade candidate forced out or crowded out of a Yankees outfielder that has expectations. But with the White Sox having a long runway to establish themselves, like, Pereira would be a good fit for right field or any outfield spot with the White Sox. So like, I think it'd be that kind of player who would be the everyday right fielder for the White Sox. If a cease trade is struck, Jake Fraley was another one I had in mind for the Reds uh, being an extra player thrown in Johnny DeLuca, who was uh, sent to the Rays in the glass now trade. He's somebody I saw in off season plan project trades being like, yeah, he makes sense as a guy who's shown what he can show as a 25 year old in triple a give them that everyday opportunity in April and May and see what happens. Like, I think it's going to be that kind of case. And then if they don't work out, then maybe Oscar Colas is worth another shot. And it's more or less like piecing it together over the rest of the season. The Colas option. I need to see a behavioral change or attitude change from Pedro Gafal towards Oscar Colas to have more confidence. It's not about playing yeah. capability about Oscar Colas. It. There's clearly something going on between Grafal and Colas. And maybe that cools off. Maybe they have a conversation during spring training. And that last year was last year. Let's start anew. And maybe a fresh approach helps Oscar Colas and even helps Pedro Grafal. But if we don't see that during spring training, I don't think that's very likely. And then it raises the question of why is Colas here then? Or a better question is why Pedro Grafal is still here. Yeah. Uh, which circles back to yep. Dave Wilson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think like, uh, you know, Colas, like partially that, partially like, you know, like he, he did earn Grafal's distrust with how he played. It's just more, I think when it comes to like Grafal being a specific character in that, it's just like, Colas is one of the few guys Grafol felt like managing. 
and he shrugged at everybody else. That's what makes it weird. But you know, you know Colos did nothing to inspire confidence uh, with just his decision-making at the plate in the field. Uh, really confusing how poorly he played right field and maybe just takes a couple months in Charlotte to reset expectations if he produces there and if they're playing him in right field, which is a position he's going to be playing and he's making like the throws he needs to make to the cutoff guys or the bases he needs to throw to uh, and he's doing everything he can in Charlotte to show he's worth another shot. That's kind of the picture I'm thinking of. Like, I think he's out of the running for opening day, but he did play well in Charlotte before last year. He played well in Birmingham before last year. So maybe there is a chance to hit a reset button now that the win now window is no longer a thing anymore. Yeah, but I don't want to make uh, go into a long tangent about Grafal again. But man, if Colossus is the only player Grafal chose to manage last year, Corey Lee too he failed. <laughs> Corey and, and yeah, Corey Lee can't hit, and that's why Chris gets acquired two catchers this yeah. offseason. So the guys that you wanted to manage, you failed at making them better, failed at making the major leaguers. You failed to make the existing team better. Like, yeah, it's like an F minus. You can't have a lower grade than what Pedro Grafal got last year. Like Grafal's got a lot to prove coming into this season. He is someone that also needs an attitude adjustment. Because if he walks into spring training thinking, yeah, we know what we're doing. We're building something here. Man, you built nothing last year. Nothing. You were just as responsible as the other guys in the front office deconstructing this roster. You might as well just give, you were supposed to build something. Instead, you just wrecked the bathroom. You punched a random hole in the wall, and now you got to go repair that. And if it doesn't get any better this year, then yeah, Grafal's got to go. Like It's it's amazing <laughs> on just how hot. Pedro Grafal's seat is uh, coming into the 2024 season. And usually you want to give a manager more time. You want to give him more rope. You want to give him more leeway. But like when it comes to this right field situation, if Getz can't pull off a trade for Dylan Cease, I think you're right. Your right field competition is Gavin Sheets, Brett Phillips, and Oscar Colas. And we already know your manager, Chris, doesn't like Colas. So you're between a first baseman and a guy who can't hit major league pitching. Yay. Yeah. Well, I am <laughs> I am fascinated by the Getz Griffold dynamic um because we've seen we've obviously seen uh Griffold doing his best to put himself in Getz's favor. And I would hope that Getz can see how transparent Griffold is being with the praise he's lavishing on Getz and like we want to we were on a roster full of Chris Getz's when Chris Getz would tell everybody he wasn't that good of a player. Uh, right. that's, that's, you're, you're hoping you see the awareness and like part of Getz's job in the interim is like untangling this mess in the roster. And also like, yeah, my theory is like, given that Griffol has two years left on his contract, that Reinsdorf doesn't want to get rid of him before the halfway point. Like he doesn't want to pay two managers. Yeah. He doesn't, yeah. yeah he, he doesn't see a point in it. Uh, for what the White Sox are going to be, or like Griffel sufficiently buttered up Reinsdorf enough uh, with his you know, time in the owner's suite to be a case of like Reinsdorf still likes him enough and still thinks like the players were the problem. Um, but here's hoping that like if it doesn't get any better and like Griffel just not does not have the personality, temperament, skills to be a credible major league manager, even for a rebuilding team, that uh, Getz will eventually like have the leeway to 
change directions at the managerial position. Maybe Reinsdorf is okay with like eating one year of a contract, but not two, because usually it takes like a Griffol level disaster to cut a guy without one year remaining. I think like a lot of times the managerial contracts, like you just assume like we might have to eat the last year if it's not working out, but you don't envision like eating two thirds of a contract because it was that bad. It's bad though. I think we can all agree yeah. it's bad. It is bad. Yeah. And then our last question comes from Stephen Millerk. And Mil- Stephen's been a supporter since June of 2022. And this is our last question in the mailbag. And Stephen wrote to us, after signing roughly a dozen defensive replacements to one-year deals, it doesn't seem like the White Sox have a real long-term plan and probably don't have the farm system to achieve a real competitive team in Luis Robert Jr.'s window of control. Considering that, is this the time to trade Robert? Even if you get 80 cents of the dollar, those 80 cents probably do more to help the White Sox return to the playoffs in two to three years than Robert does before he leaves. I think there's the White Sox have at least another year to where like his trade value doesn't change. Like I think there are diminishing returns for how much a team is willing to give up like after three years of control. Uh, to where like if you're giving up six, seven prospects, like how much are you hurting yourself <laughs> by uh, purchasing like four years of a guy versus like three years of a player when you kind of have a three year forecast for your team and you can understand like how much you're losing from, you know, the, you know, giving up three prospects or whatever. So those are just numbers I'm kind of tossing out there, but that's why I think they're diminishing returns because like eventually you just hack so much away from your team to where like, it doesn't make sense to trade it all for one guy who, you know, with Robert's case, you know, he gets hurt. Why would you give up four prospects for a guy who's only had one healthy season so far? So I think there's still another year where Robert can bolster or increase his trade value by being as good as he was last year for another year. Also, given that we know the White Sox won't pay for a superstar, I think it makes sense for the White Sox to take this year to see like, you know, and I think this, I mentioned this before, what constitutes a success for Chris Getz. I think a success would be, at the end of this year, can he see a path? Can he see a light at the end of the tunnel? Can he see like what players are on this roster are going to be contributing to the next good White Sox team? How many more guys do I need to add? Is next year going to be, is 2025 going to be 2019 to where it's like going to be an entertaining year with some hope, with some upside, with some reason to add. And then by 2020 or the, you know, the, the 2020 year, uh, which would be 2026, that's when like it's go time. If that's the case, like by 2026, you need a superstar player and Reinsdorf doesn't pay for those. So I still think it makes sense to have Robert in the mix as a possibility for your own superstar, because that's the reason why he signed Robert the contract he signed him to is superstar insurance. Like they didn't really get a great deal uh, in terms of what they're paying him through his arbitration years. They got a deal because of what they're paying him for his first two years of free agency. And the White Sox are still in position to where they can put that to use. And we don't have to hinge hopes on Jerry Reinsdorf being willing to add a superstar this time because you can't. he already pulled that football away. You can't be fooled again. So where's the superstar coming from? Robert might be it. And if so, then you hang on to it for as long as possible because his two years, the White Sox, might be more valuable than the three prospects they get. And it turns into Chris Sale for Yuan Mankata and Michael Kopech all over again to where like you had to count on those two guys clicking at the same time because the chances of them being as good individually as Chris Sale was uh, doesn't happen. So that's kind of how I view it right now. If next year 
2024 by the end of it, like you still don't see a team, then maybe consider trading Robert for a cluster of prospects who then you need that critical mass of players, which the White Sox aren't close to. But for now, I think they still have a chance of being in that position, especially with a top draft pick uh, that maybe you can see them being added to a roster by the time Robert's still around. And all of a sudden, like Robert makes sense. Yeah. We're going to have the same conversation we're having now, Steven and everybody like right now it's wait until the top starting pitcher signs somewhere. And then Dylan Cease will get moved next year. Wait to see who loses out on the Juan Soto sweepstakes. Maybe one of those teams pivots and calls the White Sox about Luis Robert. Like I already have that bookmark, Jim. It's in my Google calendar. Uh, We're going to be talking about that next GM meetings in November of 2024. Uh, (laughs) Like that's what I could see a possible speculation could be from everyone in Major League Baseball. If you don't sign Juan Soto, could you maybe get Luis Robert, who would be have three years of team control left and is a lot cheaper than Juan Soto, but you're going to have to have one of the best farm systems in Major League Baseball to be able to acquire someone like Luis Robert. And to your point, Steven, yeah, I, I see where you're saying that if you trade Robert, that the guys that you acquire from a Luis Robert Jr. deal gives you a more realistic chance when you pair up with Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz and the other young players, the white Sox have, but I don't feel confident in making that move until I gain more confidence that the next wave of talent, the white Sox have are going to be good. Like I still don't know. And I don't think anybody knows for certain uh, if these guys are going to be good. So that's why the second half of 2024, if Colson Montgomery is healthy, and if he's hitting in double A, which I think is the expectation, Jim, then yeah, we need to see Colson Montgomery start the last 40, 45 games of the season. We need to see Brian Ramos start some games. We need to see some Jake Eater, Nick Nestrini, uh, maybe even Edgar Caro making some starts at catcher. You just need that transition period so they can get their feet wet, they can get their first taste of Major League Baseball, and it gives the White Sox front office an opportunity to see where they are. We're not going to learn a lot in the first half other than do any of these dozen defensive replacements to use what Steven wrote to us. Do any of these guys have a dead cat bounce and be a surprise and maybe could be trade fodder come July 30th, which is now the 2024 trade deadline for Major League Baseball. The second half, I think we need to start figuring out, and I think the White Sox need to start figuring out is exactly what they have for 2025 and beyond. So I'm with Jim, Steven. I think you hold Luis Robert, but to your point, Stephen, Luis Robert getting traded topic will only heat up as time progresses, especially next offseason, Jim, because he'll be paired up with the Juan Soto sweepstakes. Do teams pivot and go after Robert if they can't sign Soto? And if he has another like good full season, then he's not just a guy who played 100 games once. Yes. He's a guy who's played 100 games twice and feels more sound and the White Sox have a little bit more leverage in terms of like, uh, can you know, hopefully extract a little bit more because he's shown that the health issues are behind him. Yes, but excellent question, Stephen. Excellent questions from everyone. This was fun to do again. We haven't done a P.O. Sox podcast episode in a while, so thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week, whether it's on patreon.com slash Sox Machine, if we emailed your guys' questions. And if you would like to partake in an upcoming P.O. Sox, whether that's the mailbag that Jim writes, or maybe we'll do another P.O. Sox podcast in the near future, 
You can participate by becoming a Patreon supporter. It's one of the exclusive benefits. You can sign up at patreon.com slash machine where for $2 a month, uh, plans start at that rate. You can be part of the Socks Machine Patreon. You get exclusive content. You get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have events like a curling event in February that we still have tickets for, you're the you get to go and participate in those events. You get free tickets sometimes for those events. So come again, curling with up. us. You can go curling with us. Uh, come on, again, come can, on, come curling with us. Yes, uh, you can sign up again at Patreon.com/slash/SocksMachine. But that will do it for this episode of the podcast. I am out. So Jim, I'll see you in a couple of weeks and see how jet lagged I am. And the next time we record, <laughs> have all the fun. Thank you, sir. And uh, I hope that you have some major news to cover. While I'm away, I will not be jealous whatsoever, but that's how this works. I get to see New Zealand and Australia. Bucket bucket list items for me, so I'm pretty excited. And I'll try to fire up a YouTube Live if something happens and people can see how much better you are at that than I am. Oh, come on. You'll crush it. You got this. You got this. Uh, but again, that concludes this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered us, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast into our YouTube channel. Or if we do have breaking news in the upcoming weeks and Jim launches a live stream, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. You can also follow us on social media at Socks Machine on all the platforms. And you can follow me at Socks Machine underscore Josh. I won't have White Sox news. I'll have pictures from New Zealand and Australia that I'll be popping up. But for White Sox news, definitely follow Jim at Socks Machine. And of course, read daily at SocksMachine.com. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're all for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.